Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Yes, we are. Thank you very much, Dave Nelson. Uh, we're recorded live this morning, September 11th, 2012. I believe the uh, 11th anniversary of, uh, isn't that correct? Uh, yeah. My math is sometimes foggy. Lori Pellini is on the line with us. It is the 11th anniversary of the bombing of the towers in the Pentagon. Is that correct, Lori? Yes. yes and I know that uh, there's not a, uh, a lot of activity on the internet, but it's a lot of what I've seen though so far this morning is a lot of good activity. People expressing their feelings, uh, possibly sharing their own personal <coughs> experiences and how they felt then, and maybe how they feel now. Kind of interesting, Laurie was chatting with me before we started the show, and uh, uh, the book that we're discussing, Outwitting the Devil, uh, those of you that are reading it, those of you that haven't, grab a copy. You can get it at any bookstore, or just go right to Amazon. Go to bestbusinessmindset.com slash devil, D-E-V-I-L. Order a copy. They're from anywhere from 9 to $13, hardback copies. Fascinating book written in 1938, and it's almost prophetic. Uh, we read it today, and that which Napoleon Hill discussed in an interview form with the devil, his majesty, as he called him, or as the devil asked to be called, uh, the parallels with our lives today in the Western world and uh, throughout the world, actually, are almost scary. And uh, well, good morning, Gerara. Gerara King is with us. Uh, glad you could join us, Gerara. Uh, and again, I think we all want to. Uh, you know, it, I have a funny. A lot of people say that I'm cold. Uh, today is the anniversary of an event that literally shook the world. Christmas in the Western world is a day celebrating an event that shook the world. Um, you know, we, we have these holidays, Thanksgiving and so on, and we have our own birthdays, and we have our own anniversaries, and all these milestones in the lives of individuals and milestones in the lives of societies. And uh, we're all very reflective today because of 9-11. My question to myself and to everyone else is, Why don't we keep that same reflection? Why don't we keep that same focus on the good, bad, and so on? Why don't we share them 365 days a year? Why do we have to only take one day of the year out to say thanks? Why aren't we saying thanks uh, all the time, every day? Uh, it always, always amazed me that you know we, we have these milestones or these these celebrations, your birthday. You should be celebrating your life every day. And how do you do that? You do it best by giving to others, by sharing with others. Uh, and the more you do, the more you get. It's that old age-old thing that we've talked about on this show a hundred times. But we're here to discuss today, Outwitting the Devil, 
again joined by Lori Polina in St. Louis. Good morning, Lori. Good morning. And Gerara has muted himself. Gerara's new book has been released, and I believe it's doing quite well. Uh, just a real thrill to see a young man who has done what he's done since this show is on, uh, almost eight years. Uh, today he is a very accomplished author, well-known in various circles, especially in the area of self-improvement and philosophy. He's a philosopher. He's not even 40 years old. How can you be a philosopher and you're not even 40 years old? Well, because he thinks. And it's that thinking is what this book is all about. It's thinking is what the book Think and Grow Rich is all about. It's thinking is what uh, Orison Sweat Martin's The Miracle of Right Thought is all about. And unfortunately today, we know, and as the devil says in this book, that he can be in control, meaning evil can be in control, if we can keep people from thinking. My gosh, I was driving down the road a lot yesterday. My wife and I were listening to the news, and there was a discussion about the teacher strike in Chicago. Now, here's a group of people, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're nice people. I'm not, you know, not going to... Striking because the $76,000 a year wage for which they work 180 days out of the year at approximately four and a half to five hours a day, plus their benefits, which represent another twenty-five to $30,000, is not enough. The silly city offered them a 16% raise, and, uh, and they rejected that. They want a 30% raise. And the problem is the product that they produce, which is the education of children, that district has one of the lowest accomplishment rates in the country. Now, what I'm trying to lead up to is these people aren't thinking. You know, they're wanting, they're demanding what they feel is their right without producing. This is what I don't understand. Page 126, Outwitting the Devil. Good afternoon, good morning, guest four. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to type in who you are and where you're from, we'll give you the recognition you so deserve. Sharon Lecter took a quote on page 126 of Outwitting the Devil. Says the devil, the time they, the people, spend in fearing something would, if reversed, give them all they want in the material world and save, save them from me after death. Here we go again. Fear. If I can instill fear in you, I have the right to control you. And how do I instill fear? Well, how about if I gave you something, got you hooked on it, and then mentioned that I might take it away? That's one way to instill fear. The other is to constantly denigrate the power from within. And we see this in young children all the time. This is an example of our education system. Do we instill the power of thought into our children's minds? No. We introduce dictum, strictures, telling them what's right and what's wrong based on what we feel is what's wrong and not letting them ponder and decide whether it's right or wrong. I know, I know people say, well, what are you going to let a kid touch the, touch the hot pan on the stove? Well, you know, it might not be a bad idea today. It might not be a bad idea to fall off your bicycle and hurt yourself. I'm, I mean it. I'll never forget, I've said this on the show, my dad was an electrician. I love my dad dearly. He was a wonderful man, a great provider, a great father, a role model for me. 
I wasn't too much into electricity, and he knew it, and I was always thinking and growing my garden and things like that. So anyway, he was wiring a, a lean-to shed, and I, you know, I was really a bother rather than a help. And I asked him, hey, Dad, what happens when I put these two wires together again? And he said, why don't you go try it? And I did. I put wire A to wire B, and it knocked me about 15 feet against the wall. Uh, my arm was a little shaky for quite a while, and he says, that's what happens when you put those two wires together, as I have told you before. So next time, why don't you think about what people say and make a decision accordingly? And, uh, you know, some people today would probably call that cruel and unusual punishment. Guess what? I never put wires black and white together with those two wires together again. And I did help my father as I grew older. So, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to think, the ability to try, not try, I hate the word try, it's so negative. The ability to test, this is what we need to do. The ability to spread our wings. Lori Polina has been on this show on and off for six, seven, eight years. Uh, here's a young lady who's tried many things, and, and she's, uh, not try. she's attempted to move forward in many areas, and you know what? None of them were failures. She just They were stepping stones to the next, uh, uh, the next level. Gerard King, his first book, was a great book. I read it because, of course, I'm prejudiced. But uh, you know, now, now he's writing a book a year. He's, his fifth book just published. Two of them are required reading in the philosophy departments of major universities. Gerard King has been an active member of this show for years. How does he do it? Because he put his mind to it, and he thinks, he listens, he uh, ciphers. He makes up his own mind. What Gerard King writes about is what he feels. And if you know what? If you don't like it, tough bananas. Don't buy his book. Or if you buy his book, put it down. Who cares? Nobody's forcing you to read it. I'm going to go back to... Uh, to uh, Page 126, um, Napoleon Hill and the devil, of course, are in this great uh, uh, discourse. And Napoleon Hill asks the devil, his majesty, what would happen if a thinker did appear on the surface? Uh, previous to this, the devil was telling Napoleon Hill how well he controls the world. In fact, I've, I've taken an excerpt from this book on a recording, a very short audio. If you'd like to listen to it, go to uh, bestbusinessmindset.com slash devil. It's just a quick MP3, three, four minutes. I think you'll enjoy uh, this very chilling prophecy from 1938. And what would happen if a thinker did appear? You ask me what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. People would learn the greatest of all truths, that the time they spend fearing something would, if reversed, give them all they want in the material world and save them from me after death. Isn't that worth thinking about? And Napoleon Hill asks, what is keeping such a thinker from appearing in the world? And the devil says, fear of criticism. Lori Polina shared with us thousands of times how she was criticized as a young person who wanted to play the piano and because of her disabilities uh, or whatever we want to call them. I don't even know what the polite word is. Who cares? <laughs> whatever her failings were, quote, uh, she said, to heck with you. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I don't care what you say. Fear of criticism. It may interest you, the devil says, to know that the fear of criticism is the only effective weapon I have 
with which to whip you. If you were not afraid to publish this confession after you're writing it for me, I would lose my earthly kingdom. Now, this is an interesting point. This was not published till 2011, yet written in 1938. Here the devil is telling Napoleon Hill, if you were not afraid to publish this confession after your writing, after you wring it from me, I would lose my earthly kingdom. Uh, Napoleon Hill's wife stopped this publication, and his niece-in-law stopped this publication for 40, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. Napoleon Hill said, and if I did surprise you and publish it, how long would it be until you lost your kingdom? Unfortunately, it was not published in 1938. It's published now, and people, you know, I don't know who people are reading it. There's not a lot of discussion about it. The newscasters sure as hell aren't talking about it. The devil says, I would lose my kingdom just long enough for one generation of children to grow into understanding. You cannot take the adults from me. I own the adults, the devil says. I have them too securely sewed up. But if you publish this confession, and it would be sufficient to keep me, it would be sufficient to keep me from gaining control of the yet unborn and those who have not yet reached the age of reason. You wouldn't dare publish what I have told you about the religious leaders. They would crucify you. And this is exactly why Annie Lou, Napoleon Hill's wife, did not publish this book and fought him on that ground. She was a pretty powerful woman. And when she passed away in 1980, the book, the manuscript, the written manuscript, passed on to her niece-in-law. And uh, her husband wanted to publish it, and she said no. And finally, everybody died, and it got published last year. Excellently edited by Sharon Lecter, by the way. They would crucify you. And Napoleon Hill says, I thought the savage practice of crucifixion went out of the style 2,000 years. I don't mean crucifixion on the cross. I mean social and financial crucifixion. Your income would be shut off. You would become a social outcast. Religious leaders and their followers alike would treat you with scorn. Hey, G-Man's with us from up in Canada. Good morning, Gino. Napoleon Hill says, suppose I should choose to throw in my lot with the select few who make the pretense of using their own minds rather than the fear of the masses who don't. The masses of whom you claim 98%. Isn't that amazing? The devil claims 98% of ownership <laughs> of the Occupy Me group. Huh? Huh? If you have the courage to do this, the devil says, you will crimp my style. You will crimp my style. Why do you lay claim to no scientists? Don't you like scientists? You can't hear me? Oh, I'm sorry, Gino. Call in. What the heck? Call in. Why don't you lay claim to scientists, the devil said. Yes, I like all people well enough, but true scientists are out of my reach. Why? Because they think from themselves. You know, reading this book when it was published and reading it over again, it it brought me back to the reflections of 1960, 1961 at the university. I was a biologist. My professors would not lay down the law. They would say, go find the answer. Think about it. I'll never forget one experiment we did with uh, uh, Sidewinder rattlesnakes. Dr. Mayhew, we went out to the Glamis Dunes, 
And in the Southern California desert, around Palm Springs, of course, there are sidewinders, and the Glamis Dunes is along the Colorado River, and the sand is, is somewhat yellow there, almost an orange cast, and there's sidewinders there. Now, what's interesting is these are the same genus species, except the sidewinders in Palm Springs are kind of a silver color because the sand is of a granite base, which is black and white. And the uh, sidewinders out in the Glamis Dunes have a yellowish cast. Obviously, they have morphologically evolved or changed that those who were more yellow had a better chance of surviving the eagles and the ospreys and the, the predators getting those snakes. So we had this grandiose experiment because there was an argument in class that these are really two different genus species and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. So what we did is we went on a weekend field trip, and we went and captured uh, uh, sidewinders in Palm Springs, and we carried them out to Glamis, and we captured sidewinders in Glamis and dropped them off on our way back to Riverside. But we tagged them, and they don't wander too far, so we knew they were going to stay in a basic geographical area. And uh, it was interesting to follow. I'm, I'm not going to divulge. It was a great report, by the way. But we did find out that, yes, they were the same genus species, and we also found out that um, nature is very adaptable. And, yes, many of the yellow sidewinders were killed more readily uh, by predators in the early days, um, in that early release period, than, uh, you know, because they were easy to spot. I guess the whole point of this conversation is Dr. Mayhew didn't tell us what it was. He said, well, design an experiment. You guys go do it. Kind of fun thing. Kind of, uh, I guess maybe that's what maybe an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> Scientists think for themselves and spend their time studying the natural laws. Not man's laws, the natural laws, the inalienable rights that we were given by God. Not by some pompous, stupid, fat-ass senator or congressman or president. They deal with cause and effect. They deal with facts wherever they find them. They do not make the mistake of believing scientists have no religion. And that's true. I've always loved this. The students, my peers, in 1960 to 1964, my roommate was a math and science BA. We had three of our buddies, three of my buddies all graduated with double degrees. And, and and those in the biology department with me, uh, we had great faith. It's funny, the more we studied the natural laws, the more we realized there was such a connection to greatness. What is their religion? It's the religion of truth, the religion of natural law. If the world ever produces an accurate thinker, with the ability to fathom the deeply buried secret of life and death, you can be sure that science will be responsible. And it would become a catastrophe to me, the devil. Let's get back to the subject of hypnotic rhythm. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I want to know more what it's about. It's precisely the same thing. I have told, uh, already told you, so why do you repeat the question? Well, it's an old worldly custom of mine, Your Majesty. For your enlightenment, I will tell you why I'm forcing you to repeat many of your statements for the sake of emphasis. I'm also trying to see if I can catch you in a lie. Don't dodge the issue. Get back to the hypnotic rhythm. Not now. Oh, uh, Napoleon Hill asks, am I a victim of the hypnotic rhythm? Not now, 
but you barely missed falling into my web. You drifted towards the whirlpool of hypnotic rhythm until you discovered how to force me into making this confession. Then I lost control over you. How interesting. You are not trying to recapture me through flattery, are you? That would be the best bribe I could offer you. It is the bribe I used on you effectively before you got the upper hand of me. Bribery. You see, the more I feed you, the more I do for you, the more I take burden from your life, the easier it is for me to control you. You know what? If, I don't know how many people on this show are MBAs, but you know one of the basic tenets of going becoming an MBA uh, is uh, you learn how to control employees, right? And you know that there's a theory. Interesting how Harvard kind of gets involved in this, but there's a theory that if I pay you a little more than you're worth, I always have control. And you say, what do you mean more than I'm worth? A human being is worth a lot. I said, no, no, in terms of productivity. Isn't it true we have these teachers that aren't producing a damn thing, yet we want to pay them more? And you see, the people who are fomenting this lie are in control. Isn't that correct, Lori? Yes. The people that are fomenting this, whatever it is, argument, they're the ones in the control, the union bosses. And the politicians, they're all in bed together. And they can play this great game. And the more people that they keep in control, the more power they have. And the more power they have, they can dictate the freedoms, the freedoms that they decide to diminish. Okay, uh, Napoleon Hill and the devil have a little discourse back and forth uh, about the spell that the devil had Napoleon Hill on when, when Napoleon Hill was packing his gun and afraid of the world. I, and uh, on the bottom of page 129, the devil says, Go ahead and give it to me, Your Majesty. I wish to learn how much truth I can stand. And, you know, here we go. Chapter 11, Think and Grow Rich, Sexual Transmutation. The devil responded, when you found a great love in the woman of your choice, I lost my grip on you. When you found a great love in the woman of your choice, I lost my grip on you. So, you're trying to accuse me of hiding behind a woman's skirt, Napoleon Hill says. No, not hiding. I wouldn't put it that way. I would say you have learned how to give yourself a solid background with the embellishment of a woman's mind. Boy, that's kind of a strange thing, huh? Are we saying men should think like women? Not a bad idea. Chapter 11, Think and Grow Rich, Sexual Transmutation. I have recorded it. If anybody's interested, drop me a email at uh, chuckbartok at gmail.com or pick up the book and read it, chapter 11. The power of the most successful men in the world, truly successful men, not the pompous butts that are running around spewing their, their uh, garbage today, but I mean people of substance, real honest substance. Every one of them realized that sexual energy is very strong, but they knew how to redirect sexual energy into production. Because, you see, they didn't have to prove to somebody else that they were macho. The woman's skirt has nothing to do with it, then, Napoleon Hill says. No, but her brain does. 
when you and your wife began to combine your two brains through your habit of masterminding every day. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. When's the last time you masterminded with your husband and your wife, your fiancé? Through your habit of masterminding every day, you stumbled upon the secret power with which you forced me into this confession. If you read Think and Grow Rich carefully, and I, I, then, then you go back and start reading biographies of the people that he lived with and questioned, every one of those people had extremely strong ties to their spouses. And their spouses were not little willy-nilly uh, flippity-bippities. They were strong, powerful women. And the two people joined together to create greatness. What's wrong with that, ladies and gentlemen? Why don't we have that same conviction today? Beats the heck out of me. Well, because we were too busy in this country denying God and, and God's design um, for marriage um, as being one man and one woman um, together. That's a unique concept. Until, until death do us part. Yeah. That's a unique concept, Lori. You better watch yourself. You might be considered subversive. I really don't can, can, can you believe all these thousands <laughs> of people? And, and, you know, they're nice people. They're citizens. They're neighbors. They were sitting on the floor of that convention last week and arguing whether or not the political party should have the word God in its platform. And there were a lot of people that didn't want it. And then the ones that were afraid of their, quote, reputation forced it through. Those people didn't want that in their platform. Let's be honest. They only did it to placate the rest of the public. What a bunch of two-faced, slimy, yellow-belly people. They don't have any guts. They don't have any fortitude. Well, I want it in my platform. I know that. <laughs> there you go. I don't care who I don't care who doesn't like it. Right. <laughs> the Point Hill says on page 130, I'm beginning to catch on to something important. I'm beginning to understand what was meant by the writer of that passage in the Bible which says substantially when two or more have meet together and ask for anything in my name it shall be granted. It is true then that two minds are better than one. On this call today, those of you that are here, G-Man, Laurie, Guest 4, Guest 4, don't forget you can type in the bottom here, and Gerara. How many of you actively, and I'm, I'm, I, this is a question I have asked before, how many of you actively have true mastermind alliances? I'm blessed with still masterminding with people and have been doing it with the same people for 45, 50 years. And now today I'm masterminding with people that I didn't know a year ago. And each one of those mastermind groups are focused on different aspects of life, different things that interest me. You know, if you think about it, I don't know if any of you bowl or play golf or fish. Right now the salmon are running right outside our house here at the, on the river. Uh, there were 30, 40 salmon boated uh, yesterday morning before noon. Huge fish, 20, 25, 30 pounds. And it's interesting that all of those fishermen mastermind. <laughs> they share with each other because they all want to win. They all want to have success. And the guides, believe it or not, even though they're competitors, because each guide gets $150 a person to take them out on the river, 
you know, boat of four, six hundred dollars costs a lot of money to have that boat there. The boats cost forty, fifty thousand, gas, fuel. But after the fishing's all done for the day, do you think those guys go off in their little No, they share with each other because you see, the more successful all the guides are, the more people who want to fish, the more publicity there is in the newspaper. So they share with each other where things are. They don't keep it within themselves. They mastermind. They mastermind. It is not only true, the devil says, it is necessary before anyone can continuously contact that great storehouse of infinite intelligence wherein is stored all that is and all that ever was and all that can ever be. Is there really such a storehouse, Napoleon Hill asked. If there had not been, you would not, could not, and now be humiliating me with this forced confession. Is it dangerous to give me this sort of information? Sure, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to me, the devil. If I were you, I would not give it out. Well, let's get back now to the technique through which you fasten on your victims the habit of drifting. What is the very first step a drifter must take to break the habit? Does everybody remember what a drift... Oh, G-Man, you're with us. Good morning, good morning, Gino. Can you hear us okay? Yeah, good morning, Chuck. How you doing? Yeah. Do you remember what a drifter was, Gino? Drifter is a person who has no goal in life. Uh-huh. And that's the devil's playground, isn't it? Yes, sir. That's the people the devil has an opportunity to control. Let's get back now to the techniques which you fashion the habit. What is the very first step a drifter must take to break the habit? Anybody want to venture the first step a drifter must take to want to break the habit of being a drifter? What's the first step a narcotic uh, addict has to take to break the habit of narcotics? What's the first step an alcoholic has to take? They have to admit that they have a problem. That's, I think, in the same purview of what the devil says, a burning desire to break the habit. A burning desire. You have to acknowledge you have a problem right. before you yeah. can break it. You are correct on that. <laughs> and then you have to have a burning desire to break it. Right. You, of course, know that no one can be hypnotized by another person without his willingness to be hypnotized. The willingness may assume in the form of indifference towards life generally and lack of ambition, fear, lack of definite purpose, and many other forms. Nature does not need one's consent in order to place him under the peril spell of a hypnotic rhythm. It needs only to find him off guard. Through any form of neglect to use his own mind. Any form of neglect to use your own mind. Remember this, and boy, this is so trite, what a cliché. Whatever you have, you use it or you lose it. All successful attempts to break the habit of drifting must be done before nature makes the habit permanent through hypnotic rhythm. Well, if I understand you, hypnotic rhythm is a natural law through which nature fixes the vibration of all environments. Isn't that true? Yes, nature uses hypnotic rhythm to make one's dominating thoughts and one's thought habits permanent. That is why poverty is a disease. 
Nature makes it so by fixing permanently the thought habits of all who accept poverty as an unavoidable circumstance. Or today, as we have seen, we have generations of people who believe that they are impoverished because of somebody else. They're poor because of the other people. But what an extreme pile of CRAP. My economic condition has absolutely no relevance to anybody else. When Shirley and I went broke, it had nothing to do with anybody else. It only had to do with decisions that I made. And nature sometimes threw us a curve of farming, of course. You know, there's some things you can't control a hurricane. And if your crop gets wiped out, it gets wiped out. But that doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. That doesn't mean you can't go back and do it again. Poverty is a disease. Nature makes it so by fixing permanently the thought habits of all who accept poverty as an unavoidable uh, uh, circumstance. Through this same law of hypnotic rhythm, nature will also fix permanently positive thoughts of opulence and prosperity. Perhaps you will better understand the working principle of hypnotic rhythm if I told you its nature is to fix permanently all habits, whether they are mental or physical. If your mind fears poverty, your mind will attract poverty. Does anybody out here fear poverty? Gino, do you fear poverty? No, not whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, why would anybody fear poverty? There's abundance enough for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, all we have to do is turn around. (laughs) And it's our inalienable right to have a piece of the action if we're willing to sacrifice and focus our energy to get it. And you don't need... Now, masterminding, uh, the leg up, is it... Yes, don't be afraid to ask for help, by the way. But at the same time, enter that relationship with your palm down, willing to give at the same time. You just don't walk out with your palms up all the time. If you want help, offer offer help. The more you offer help, the more help you're going to get. Which I guess translates to the more you give, the more you get. I don't know. If your mind demands opulence and expects it, your mind will attract the physical and financial equivalents of opulence. This is in in accordance to the immutable law of nature, so says the devil. In 1919, Napoleon Hill wrote about the law of attraction in in March uh, in his Golden Rule magazine, and as an aside, he did that after reading week four of Charles Handel, one of my favorites who actually was Napoleon Hill's mentor, uh, the master key. And Charles Handel is the father of the law of attraction. And, and Hill first wrote about it in 1919. In fact, he wrote a letter to Charles Handel thanking him for chapter four because Napoleon Hill read and studied week four, chapter four of the master key and secured a $105,000 a year part-time contract in April of 1919. By focusing his energy on that which uh, Charles Handel discussed in the book, The Master Key. Sharon Lecter in her side, says, within the last decade, this immutable law of nature has been popularized, unfortunately misrepresented by the book and the movie The Secret. 
the law has been terribly misrepresented by the, that book and that movie, but the law is still becoming more popular. Did the writer of that sentence in the Bible, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, have in mind this law of nature? He could have nothing else in mind. The statement is true, and you can see evidence of his truth in all human relationships. And that is why the man, Napoleon Hill says, who forms the habit of drifting through life must accept whatever life hands him. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Life pays the drifter its on its own terms. The non-drifter makes life pay to his own terms. That's a powerful sentence there. Reminds me of that poem, Chuck. Oh yes, yes. Where is it, Chuck? Well, I'm. I'm I do have a recording of it in there. Uh, About uh, how I ask life. Uh, what is it? I ask life for a penny. Yeah, and that's what she gave me because that's all I asked. I'll have it. I'll have it up for next week, and we'll re- recite that poem again. <laughs> I love that. I'll poem. also post. I'll also rec- I'll post the recording on Facebook. It's a wonderful poem. I've read, you know, I, I just can't recall it uh, verbatim right now. Right. I love that, though. Yes. Napoleon Hill asked the question on page 133, doesn't the question of morals enter into what one gets from life? To be sure, the devil says, but only for the reason that it is one's morals have an influence on one's thoughts. No one can collect what he wants from life merely by being good if that's what you want to know. Okay, it, it, there it is. You've got to put some effort out, folks. It's not a copy-and-paste world. The fortunes in the world are not made because there's no selling, no calling on friends, no nothing. The fortunes of the world are made by people who are willing to take risks, believe in themselves, have a definite enough purpose, and have a plan of action and mastermind and know how to get there. All talents that we are born with. And unless we're ready to fall into the grasp of the devil and his minions, who will constantly criticize and deride you, and we allow that feeling to overcome us, we can do whatever we want. We are all here where we are, And what we are because of our own deeds? No, not exactly. You are where you are and what you are because of your thoughts and your deeds. Then there's no such reality as luck, is there? And the devil says emphatically no. Circumstance which people do not understand are classified under the heading of luck. Back of every reality is a cause. Often the cause is so far removed from the effect that the circumstance can be explained only by attributing it to the operation of luck. Nature knows no such law as luck. Nature knows no such law as luck. It is a man-made hypothesis with which he explains away things he doesn't understand. The terms luck and miracle are twin sisters. Neither of them has any real existence except in the imagination of people. Both are used to explain that which people do not understand. Remember this. Everything having a real existence is capable of proof. Q. 
Keep this one truth in mind and you will become a sounder thinker. I'm going to breeze right through this and want to get to uh, a long list that the devil uh, mentions on page 134. That reminds me to ask you to tell me more about yourself. Where, in addition to the minds of people, do you dwell and operate? Where is the devil, ladies and gentlemen? And the devil answered, I operate wherever there is something I can control and appropriate. I have already told you that I am the negative portion of the electron of matter. I am the explosion in lightning. I am the pain in disease and physical suffering. I am the unseen general in warfare. I am the unknown commissioner of poverty and famine. I am the executioner extraordinary at death. I am the inspirer of lust in the flesh. I am the creator of jealousy, envy, and greed. I am the instigator of fear, which is non-existent. I am the genius who converts the achievements of men of science into instruments of death. I am the destroyer of harmony in all manner of human relationships. I am the antithesis of justice. I am the driving force in all immorality. I am the stalemate of all good. I am anxiety, suspense, superstition, and insanity. I am the destroyer of hope and faith. I am the inspirer of destructive gossip and scandal. I am the discourager of free and independent thought. In brief, I am the creator of all forms of human misery, the instigation of discouragement and disappointment. And you do not call that cold and cruel? I call that definite and dependable. The world depression broke up the habits of men everywhere and redistributed the sources of poverty in all walks of life on an unprecedented scale. Remember, this was written in 1938. The drifter's pet alibi, with which he tries to explain away his undesirable position, is his cry that the world has run dry of opportunities. You know, I read similar words years ago, and I always wondered why my dad and the rest of my family immigrating here in the Depression, why my family, my grandfather, my uncle, my dad, why they never suffered uh, all of these uh, problems that we read about. And then it realized that my dad was always hustling. He was always seeking opportunity, and he was always pouncing on it, and he was effectively doing something. My grandfather was the same way, and so was my uncle and my mother and my aunts and my grandmother. They never said, oh, well, the newspaper said times are tough. I guess they are. Let's sit back and let somebody take care of us. Now, were they opulent people? Were they living in the lap of luxury? Were they in that top 1%? No, they were working people. Worked in the steel mills. But always were doing something on the side. Always doing something to move up another step, another notch. That's why they came to this country, because of that opportunity, which is rapidly diminishing. I call that definite and dependable. Non-drifters do not wait for opportunity to be placed in their way. They create opportunity to fit their desires and the demands of life. 
page 135. And you know what? I've, I've put together, for those of you that are interested at all, there's a, a series of four videos on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and uh, put in the search bar C-J-B-A-R-T-2, the number two. I've got about 95 videos up there. But several years ago, five, six years ago, I created four videos on how to create, how to turn your passion into an income-earning situation. Everybody on this call listening today, tomorrow, and in the future possess right now experiences in your life that other people want to hear about and are willing to pay for. Everybody. That's why I'm... um attempting the well i'm not attempting i'm soon going to be have successfully completed my first amazon kindle book and we're looking forward to that too <laughs> you, you know those of you that have been on the call for a while know that four four months ago i one of my definites of purpose i realized that i had become an obese slovenly lazy blob since we changed our lifestyle and moved off the farm I became fat, F-A-T, not overweight, fat. I became obese. My doctor said I was suffering from obesity. And all of a sudden, one day, I looked at myself, and I found out that tying my shoes was a chore, and I couldn't get up from the garden very easily. And I just looked bad to me, and I decided to change that. And I have the power to change it. Here we are four months later. I'm down 30 pounds. I've lost about 19 inches in body fat. I feel better than I have in 20, 25 years. You see, but what I did was I did some research first. I made a plan of action. I put together several systems that other people use. Yes, I chose to use a product that that after research fit me. And here's what's happening. I've been blogging about it. I've been chatting about it. And I've created some products. You see, I, you know, this is all good. That's not the reason I did it. But I enjoy sharing with people now how to become fit. And it's a lifelong journey is what it is. You've, you've told, you have to totally turn, turn yourself over to that lifestyle change. You have to practice discipline. You have to do all the things that are necessary to do anything well. And you know what? I gained a few pounds this weekend. I announced a horse show. They fed me well. I didn't get a chance to do my exercise routine. I gained a few pounds. No biggie. Am I, gonna, am I saying I'm a failure? No, because I know exactly how to get back. How about you, Gino? How are you doing on your journey? Well, I had a setback. I uh, wrecked my knee there uh, through my attendance. Uh, playing, oh, wow. Playing baseball. Of all uh-huh. So I've been laid up about six weeks now. So. Oh boy! You know, some of us older older guys, we gotta watch. We we can't go too far in some of this stuff. Well, my mind thinks I'm 18, but my body yeah. says, "Oh no, you're not." Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, a, a good neighbor of mine. I've known the man since I moved to Northern California 36 years ago. He happens to live in my neighborhood. George is 85. We play cards and golf together. And one of the things George has always been—he's he's a, a short-statured person of Greek descent. And he's always been very, uh, what would you say, well-built, you know, uh, firm and in and, and shape. And, of course, at 84, he's had suffered his, you know, shoulders and knees and all that. And he's been going to the gym, and, and he, wants to, he wants to get back to that, you know, body that he had then. And, unfortunately, it's really doing him a negative thing. Do you see what I mean? Be- because uh, 
there's some things he can't, I mean, let's face it, there's some things that he won't be able to do exactly as he did 40, 50 years ago. I, I know oh, a friend who's 82 who still plays baseball. But, pardon me? I know a friend who's 82 who still yeah. plays baseball. Yeah, oh yeah. But, but you have to. He, what George was doing was overtraining at the gym. Yeah. Hey, everybody! I, my wife just came in and gave me a copy of this morning's newspaper, the Red Bluff Daily News. Mm. And I don't. They do have an online thing just for fun. There is the most beautiful picture of my wife on the first page. What a gorgeous woman! And she had the jubilee at the Tehama County Fair, the hundredth. We have a very old building in the town of Tehama right on the river. And she had her wooden yard art there, her wonderful creations, her own artistic creations. And she made the first page, the front page. Awesome. So if anybody has a chance to go to um, the Red Bluff Daily News, uh, she's right there, I guess. I imagine they have an online thing. So anyway, somebody just brought that in. It's beautiful. Okay, everybody, I've got to run to town. Uh, thank you all very much for being with us. Uh, any parting words of wisdom from anybody? Thank you, Chuck. You're doing great. Thank you. We're going to come back next week and spend some more time with Napoleon Hill and the Devil. Those of you that do not have a copy, uh, grab a copy, bestbusinessmindset.com slash devil. And if anybody would like to follow and find out how I've been, pardon me? Uh, your show today was brought to you by Team Health to Wealth, number two, wealth.net. Stop by there. Uh, put your name and email address in. You'll find out how I have been able to lose weight and become fit. Thank you all very much. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.